You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 36. Negotiation. From the Journal of Abigail Gray. Mississippi. July 21st, 1883. We dug her grave with a rusted shovel. Buried her beside the cabin. The place of her last stand. On a little stone I scratched. Annie Oakley, 1883. At rest. And we stood in the morning light. Unsure of what to say to one another. I'm going to ride to the garrison. And I'm going alone. You think I'm safer here? Consider the dangers. Out there if the Wendigo catches us and we both die, the endowment is lost. The RSA will never find it and this world is condemned to these wind doors. If just one of us dies, the other will be struck entirely blind and without protection or guidance out there, they will swiftly expire. But if I stay in the cabin, then more from Green Hollow might come looking. I stared at him and his expression didn't change. You factored that in, didn't you? If they kill me... The endowment goes back to Green Hollow, in one of them. At least we have track of it. God damn it. You know, it's a tragedy that Thomas Arlington died. But at least we have a spare. Hey! Annie bought our lives at a great price. We must honour that and make the best decisions with what we have. So I don't have any kind of a say in this? If anything that you can think of goes against what I've just laid down, then you are endangering the survival of the human race. So by all means, say what you wish. But I doubt it's going to change my mind. You even sound like him. Go on, then. I'll stay here and guard McClellan. You just pick us up when you come by with the army on your way there. Very well, then. You know, I actually agree with you. I just didn't want all control taken away from me. This isn't a matter of control. You sure about that? At this he didn't answer, but stalked down the track toward the horses we'd found tethered there. I followed and watched him untie all of them and urged the animals out onto the plain, leaving me with no ride. He looked back at me, apology in his eye, mounted the remaining horse, and rode away. I hung around the cabin for hours, avoiding the kitchen. There was a stream nearby, so I gathered some water in a bowl, and using a damp cloth, mopped up as much of Annie's blood as I could, just so I would have something to do just so I could feel the moment had passed. I was still holding her in my arms. It was still happening. And if I could maybe reduce the blood to a stain, it would feel like a moment from history and not a nightmare I was trapped in. I could feel the man I'd killed back at Green Hollow pressing down on me. I re-experienced the spasm of his body as I punched the life out of him. And I was watching Rao throw herself from the cliff to protect us. I turned my head, 
was that a tear? Or was it simply that suffocating feeling when I should be crying, but can't? This cabin was driving me insane. The confinement compelled me to go outside, gasp in the sunlight. But to my left, there was that headstone. And that was when I really began to miss her. The way we fought. The fact that she always had a counterpoint. And that it was always from a place of love and practicality and kindness and empathy. So what did that make me? Was I the selfish villain? I stalked into the kitchen in the mid-afternoon and stood over Rose. For just a moment, I relished the idea of beating her to death where she sat, just pounding that sneering face against the floor until it was unrecognizable as the woman who had caused all of this. I wanted to drop-kick her skull out of the window. You were going to drug us, weren't you? I said. You had to have been. Or else why would your husband kill that poor girl Lulabelle for trying to warn James not to eat? Rose's eyes flicked away and I continued furiously. Yeah, he told me about that. You were going to drug us, then you were going to kill a man, and then Annie, Harry, and I would have just been breeding livestock to you monsters. Something stank. I noticed a dark patch under her chair with flies buzzing around it. I pulled the rag from her mouth. You pissed yourself. Why didn't you tell me you needed the bathroom? I would starve to death before I asked you for food. Well, then you don't get one of these. I shot back, biting into a red apple I'd picked from the tree outside. My violent impulse was abating, but I still hated her with a passion. I would have to live off these apples for the next few days. And right now, I was content to let this bitch go hungry. Let me ask you a question, I said pacing the kitchen just so the stench of her wasn't hanging in my nostrils. And you don't have to answer this, but it might make all the difference for both of us if you do so. And truthfully. Annie was asking you this when one of your fucking asshole offspring ended her life. She glared at me as I sat myself on the sideboard and glared right back. When James brings the army, and he will, are your family going to deal? Or are they going to fight? Your nasty little woman actually asked whether we were smart enough not to fight. As though dying in battle for what you believe in is stupid. You're so fucking brave. Keeping women trained to the bed. Oh, you shut your filthy mouth. Those females are bringing new Americans into the world. They are fulfilling their quota. And I'd put you down on one of those beds myself and have my sons go to town on you until your body gave us what we need. I don't need your mind at all. I don't need your heart. And I darn sure don't need your mouth. You're just a cunt to me. The fury inside was back. I had a desperate need to take this force of pure evil out of the world. Not even to inflict pain and retribution for the suffering she'd caused, but just to wipe this way of thinking off the map. I wanted to kill every single person running that township. I'd made a promise to a room full of women, and right now, 
It seemed like the only way they were getting out was over the corpses of their captors. But they were holding my friends there, too. Harry and Miguel and Jeremy and Raven and poor Major Butler, who didn't even know yet that his wife was gone. I needed to hold on to the smallest chance we could rescue them. Keep that ray of hope alive. Yes. For a moment, Annie was standing beside me and I jumped. I'd not seen her, but the picture in my mind was so clear. She'd said simply one word, or felt one feeling, and it was yes. I dropped from the sideboard and walked over to Rose, picking up the rag, noting that I'd let it drop into the puddle beneath her chair, and not feeling the least bit bad about that fact. If they know the army is coming, they'll have time to decide what their lives are worth. They won't just react like desperate, cornered, dumb animals. She began to say something venomous, but I stuffed the rag back in her mouth and tied her head with the short length of rope. So let's you and I take a little trip. I pulled from Annie's gun belt, which was now around my waist, her silver pistol, reloaded with ammunition from the dead attackers. I wouldn't need any other weapons. I took a piece of charcoal from the fire and wrote on the wall. James, taken Rose back to Green Hollow to negotiate. Keep everyone alive. Abigail. Getting one of the horses back was tricky. They were under the impression that they were wild now, and I found myself having to sneak up repeatedly as they grazed, only to have the damn things canter away from me. But eventually, as Rose stood, still bound in rope, watching me contemptuously, I managed to bring in one of the mares. For practicality, and for fun, I slung Rose bound and gagged over the front of the horse rather than have her ride with me. And on the way back, I spotted something glinting in the grass. Hopped down and found Annie's second gun, holstering it like the precious artifact it had become. At the gates of Green Hollow, I stood straight and firm, one pistol to Rose's temple as she stood beside me. Buford came out to meet us, flanked by six men. The moment Rose was dead, I would be riddled with bullets, so I had one chance at this. I had to leverage what I knew of them and of us to get the only possible positive result. This was my true test as a cartographer. Where are the others? Buford demanded, his voice rough and humorless, in no mood for games or sarcasm. I elected not to be a smart mouth and to tell the truth. Your boys shot our captain. She's dead, I announced, keeping my tone factual rather than emotional. And the location of the doctor has now become information that is absolutely key to this here negotiation. Well, where the fuck is he? He's ridden to the nearest outpost of government soldiers. If it's Vicksburg, we killed them all months ago. You shit out of luck. It's Vicksburg, but they got sent reinforcements weeks ago. At least 50 men. They'll be coming in the next few days and standing right where I am now. Think about that. 
I hope they're ready to die because we are. Hold on there, sir, because I've got three things to offer that you might just want to consider as an alternative to a protracted siege wherein everyone in Green Hollow loses their life. You have no idea how hard we will fight. Oh, I believe you. But I don't want you to have to fight. And you won't have to if you consider thing one, which is that my companions, every person on that steam craft, is important to the American government. You have items of true negotiable value in your possession, myself included, because if you accept what I'm selling, I'll come quietly, provided you keep your promise about not hurting my friends. Thing two? Thing two is that you'll get your mother back, safe and sound and unharmed. Look at her. She's fine. Are you? Called Buford, and Rose nodded slowly. Then thing three. Now that's the strongest string in your bow. If you agree to my setup, you will have acquired yourself a trained, professional, government liaison to speak on your behalf and arrange peaceful terms so that we can do this without a shot being fired. I paused for effect. Me. And what if I say no? Then I'll have failed as a negotiator. And I guess you lose me, you lose your mom, and when the army arrives, you lose everything. You won't be fighting for your way of life, you'll be destroying it. So this one's up to you, Buford. You trust me, and things might work out. You kill the two of us now, and Green Hollow becomes less than a memory. Do you really want to send everyone here to die just to preserve your ideals? He reached into a bag slung over his shoulder and pulled out an object I recognized. It was my handbook. I've been reading through this. Seems like your nigga leader Arlington is trying to send every man, woman, and child in America to their deaths at the jaws of these Wendigos. Just to preserve his ideal. The foundations of my argument shook briefly. I did not let this register on my face, but the parallels he was drawing were slamming home with discomfort and symmetry. Says here, secessions must be met with swift unyielding force until it, like the Wendigo, is eradicated. Doesn't sound like we have much of a choice when the army arrives. That's not the whole sentence. The line is, secession that cannot be resolved with fair negotiation. That's what this is. That's what I'm for. I'm your only hope, Buford. Use me. His eyes narrowed as he looked me up and down in a way that made my flesh crawl. Yeah, I'll use you. In one way or another. You better not break your promise to keep us unharmed. Oh, I won't. Till this thing is over. But if you're still alive, then, and if you fail us in your negotiating, I'm getting your quota off you. Your captain shot my father. That means you'll bear my sons. Then I better not fucking fail. I held up my pistol and let it drop theatrically to the grass at my side. I untied Rose as Buford approached us. He took his mother in his arms, and they held one another for a while as she shook, and Buford's men bound my wrists. 
as I was led on a rope through the gates. My eyes met with a sight that stilled my blood. Right there, in the center of town, stood the ruined, burned-out shell of Steamheart. Raven. After Oakley, Gray, and Penrose left, the people of Green Hollow surrounded us inside the steamcraft. What? What's happening? Arlington asked. The captain took the two endowments with her. All those guns pointing at them. This is a deeply dangerous place. We can't drive out without Major Butler. And, and, and even if we could, I don't know how far we'd get before we break down altogether. Oakley signaled for us to stay put. So that's what we do. An hour passed. People milled about us and spread out to a watchful distance as we sat there like rats in a trap, simply waiting. Then there came a banging on the hatch. Do, do I let them in? Wait a moment. More banging sounds. Some of them were clearly hammers going back and forth along the outer hull. Can they get in? Pines whispered. Eventually, yes. She, she was designed to be impenetrable at speed. Right now, sat here like this, it, it's just a matter of time and pressure. There were scraping noises and sloshing liquid. Then, thirty yards ahead of us, a shaven-headed man with a black beard, holding a bowie knife to Major Butler's neck, stood in direct view of the cockpit. He beckoned us out with the knife blade. If we don't go outside, he's... I began, but then another sight stopped my words. A much closer man climbed onto the windshield and held something up for us to clearly see. It was a stick of dynamite. He lit the length of fuse and shoved the base of it into a crack where the reinforcement was coming away. Then he pointed at both sides of the craft and then to the hatch. No. No! But there was no mistaking his message. Open the door. Everybody out. I commanded. The air and light of the late afternoon threw itself inside as we unbolted the hatch and dived from it. Arlington was clutching Abigail's bag. We were grabbed and dragged away from Steamheart, which we could now see had clustered sticks of dynamite at various places in between the joints. Arlington was screaming now. It was then that I remembered something. Wait! We have a young boy asleep in the back! I cried. The fuses ran out, and Steamheart shattered. The explosion rocketed its frame sideways, and plates of metal and ceramic tile, ruptured pipes, blackened bolts, and burning wood tore through the air. The people of Green Hollow cheered in triumph as she went up. Some were bowled over, or cut to pieces by flying debris, as Arlington wailed. Her heart breaking. The needless casualties did not matter to them. They had destroyed something we loved. We were taken to their internment building, locked in cages and left. Arlington wept through the night. Major Butler had her slumped over his knees and held her protectively, letting the girl cry herself out. 
Hines and I sat by the barred window watching the shell of the steamcraft get picked at by those scavenging jackals. By morning, the four of us had resigned ourselves to simply waiting. Annie's one of the best negotiators out there, Butler claimed confidently. She has Rose. I reckon a couple of us would be a fair trade. She needs Harry back first and foremost, said Pines. Not a one of us here is one-tenth as smart as you. Arlington did not smile at this. When the town gathered near the gates the next afternoon, it became obvious something was happening out front. Then after a few minutes, Gray appeared, being led on a rope. She reeled at the sight of Steamheart's wreckage, and when we looked behind her, all we saw between the closing gates were empty plains. Gray was thrown in with us shortly after. Where's Miguel? She asked. Where's James? Pine shot back. Gone to get the army? She said quietly. And Annie? Asked Butler. A long moment passed between them. Abigail could not put it into words, and she didn't have to. The man's face went slowly over the course of a minute, from hope to fear and then unfathomable sadness. And finally, nothing. The light in his eyes grew dull. His breathing continued, but he said no more. Gray was our new leader. Listening to episode 36 of Steamheart Negotiation, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. James Penrose and Raven, performed by Alex Shaw. Rose McClellan, performed by Theo Lee. Buford McClellan, performed by Jacob Newburn. Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor and Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. March of the Mind, Lightless Dawn, Inexorable, Long Note 2, and Ossuary. Composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, newcomer Brian Novak, John Clayson, Tyler Long, Adam Kilmartin, Jogaseeger, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lutch, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. 